Good morning. It is almost Christmas. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's turn to the reading of the scripture. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. And the church said, there's a preacher who had a way with words. They call it alliteration. And, and he said this once, at least once, about people like you and I. We are nothing more than dirty dust dignified with divinity. You got the three Ds, alliteration. I believe he's right about that. And in this moment, I pray that God would somehow take dust and dignify it in such a way that we might hear a word from heaven. It'll happen if you pray. So please pray. Amen. Our theme for Advent declares that there's joy in every longing heart. While I believe this is to be true, I am clear that joy is not always so apparent. In fact, it seems that so often joy is missing, the joy is on sabbatical, and minimally, joy has taken a long vacation. Maybe you have met, you have met over the last few weeks a few Ebenezer Scrooges. You say Christmas, they go ho-hum. All they have is the tedium and the monotony and the boredom and the dreariness of ordinary days. Life for some is just routine, repetitive, predictable, and sometimes there does not seem to be much excitement at all. In this season of the year, who among us does not have an inexhaustible list? I can feel it. There's some list still in the room. I want to say to you right now that a list will wear you out. It will leave you bone tired. It's time now to put down the list. If you've ever been overcome by the routineness and the sameness of every day, if you've ever felt like you were on a treadmill and you were running fast and going nowhere, if you ever felt like you were doing the same thing over and over again, then I say to you that you, like me, stand in need of an Advent blessing. You stand in need of a divine disruption. I went back to my my childhood in this memory. First, let me say, so you will think not less of me, I really am a dog man, all right? I like the dogs. But my memory took me back to my hamster. 
She had a name, and I'll confess it. I don't care. I hope you'll still love me. Her name was Harriet. <laughs> it gets better. Harriet had a middle name. I don't know where I came up with it, but her middle name was Cecilia. Harriet Cecilia. And I loved Harriet and my dog too, but I, I, I loved Harriet. And what I observed as a boy growing up watching Harriet that every now and then Harriet would get into a run. You see the run there. She'd get into a run and Harriet would start to run and run and run and run and Harriet would run and run and run and run and Harriet would run and run and run and run. And after I got so tired of looking at Harriet run and run and run, I would disrupt the run. <laughs> and I would reach in and I would grab Harriet because she was out of breath and didn't know it. And yes, I cradled my hamster because I loved my hamster. <laughs> and I would give her space to run around the house. It was supervised space. You know, Harriet is a rodent. She'd run around the house, but I would stay with her, and then I'd cradle her and put her back safely in her cage. Maybe the memory of Harriet paints the picture of what I've been feeling. I've been feeling a bit impatient this Advent season, the four weeks of Advent thus far seem to have dragged along. Four weeks or four weeks, I know it intellectually, but it seems like a longer four weeks than just a year ago. I've been waiting for Christmas to get here, and I've been running and running and running and running and not getting to my desired destination. You know, Christmas Eve comes early at Providence Church, Maybe it's the only place in the world where that happens, but Christmas Eve is tomorrow. We have an opportunity, the 23rd of December, to light the Christ candle and be reminded of the baby, the Savior, who comes as a sign and symbol that there is hope. I want to say to you in the midst of your stuff, and I feel the stuff in the house right now, in the midst of your stuff, there is hope. I need the seasonal intrusion of the birth of a baby to thrust me off my run so that I may pause and worship, so that I may pause and connect with family and friends so that I may pause and gain fresh new perspective. I need divine disruptions because they take me off my normal routine and get me out of my run. I need to know that Christmas is coming and everything really, really will be all right. My sense of waiting or our sense of waiting, as I include you, does not compare to the waiting of those who have been longing for a long time for a first Christmas. They've been waiting more than 400 years, 42 generations, for a promised Messiah. Micah records that this promised Messiah would come out of Bethlehem, would be born in Bethlehem, this small, relatively insignificant village not far from Jerusalem. A special person would come who would be the Savior of the world. You see, a birth is always a disruption. Maybe there's some non-believers in the room. 
But have you ever invited a baby or a child into your life through birth or association and your world wasn't somehow changed? You know, babies change your sleeping habits. They change when you go to bed and when you get up. They change where you place your priorities. Babies have a way of consuming us. They are for us an interruption in the routine, and we discover that which has value and meaning that is outside of us. Oh, I remember when I became a daddy for the first time. Oh, it was a wonderful moment. But then we get busy with life, don't we? Real busy this season. Zechariah was busy with life. Zechariah was simply performing his chosen duties as a priest. The angel disrupted his routine. He was gripped by fear. The angel messenger says, don't be afraid. Mary was busy with life. She was a simple, pubescent teenager, excited about her upcoming wedding and betrothal. And the angel Gabriel disrupted her wedding plans and said, you are highly favored. It troubled Mary. She was afraid. But the messenger angel said, do not be afraid. There's a pattern here. Divine disruptions are often a prelude to joy. You see, Zechariah for nine months had been unable to speak. His wife Elizabeth was pregnant, and when it was time for the baby to be born on a tablet, he scribbled out a name and said, his name shall be called John. When he scribbled it out, according to the Bible, Zechariah broke into song and he broke into praise. Can you imagine being on the receiving end of wonderful, miraculous, good news and not being able to tell anybody for nine months? What would you say when your tongue was released and your mouth would be free to praise? Would praise be ever on your lips? I wonder... What I would say, oh, I'd probably still be saying it, even now. I wonder, I wonder how long I would be saying it. I'm reminded of a song we used to sing in the Methodist church I grew up in in Jackson, Mississippi. It was a one-liner, but it was a protracted one-liner. <laughs> the line was, the line was, the line was, I just can't stop praising his name. I just can't stop praising his name. I just can't stop praising his name. Hallelujah. That was the whole song. But that song might go 10, 12, 15 minutes. Some of you might have checked out by then, but it would go on and on. I just can't stop praising his name. I just can't stop praising his name until it filled the whole house of God. And people were reminded about this big Savior who redeemed them. Mary greeted her cousin Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John. And according to the Bible, Mary broke into praise. My soul magnifies 
the Lord. Somehow I get lost. Sometimes I get lost in Psalm 34. There's this line that I love that says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I get hung up on the with me. Oh, magnify the Lord but with me. It's an invitation. And as I praise for others to join me in that praise with me. Oh, magnify the Lord with me that we might exalt his name together. Our scripture lesson today there's no exception to the pattern established. Shepherds like us were busy with life. They were working the graveyard shift, the midnight shift. The shepherds were probably doing what people who work the graveyard shift do. They were just trying to stay awake. They were waiting for morning and the first rays of sunlight. They were expecting the evidence of a new day. I suspect they were longing for a bit of relief after a long night and needed a break. If you've ever worked the graveyard shift or the midnight shift, you might know what I mean. I've worked the graveyard shift before. It was a long time ago. But let me paint the picture of a graveyard shift, particularly when you're near the outside and the out of doors is like. You become acquainted with all the night sounds. There's a familiarity to the night and you, the doors creaking and the wind blowing and the, and the sound of animals. You know every sound when you work the night shift. But then sometimes something happens, there's a sound that you don't recognize it, and it gets your attention because you want to know what it is. The shepherds are on the night shift, and all of a sudden angels appear and disturbed their routine. But not everybody could be a shepherd. It required a unique skill set and resume that reflected vigilance, and watchfulness. These were probably not ordinary shepherds. But according to Jewish sources, rabbinical sources, they were probably Levitical shepherds, meaning they had a religious function to their work. This means that they were trained and tasked with the responsibility of tending and guarding the flocks used for sacrifices in the temple of Jerusalem. When it was time for one of the flock to give birth, the shepherds would bring the sheep into caves surrounding Bethlehem. Birthing caves, pay attention to that, birthing caves were kept in a state of ritual purity since there were no lambs, since the lambs were destined for sacrifice at the temple. There was no room for Mary and Joseph in the local inn. They probably used one of the caves around Bethlehem. The Messiah was born not in the stable of our imagination with the cow making cow sounds and a wonderful manger full of straw. That's probably not the reality of his birth. He was probably born in one of these birthing caves around Bethlehem used for sacrificial lambs because he himself would be the ultimate sacrificial lamb. The shepherds in our story were responsible for newborn lambs and 
the newborn lambs needed to be without defect and spotless. And upon birth, they would wrap them in bands of cloth to protect them from the jagged cave edges. Many believe that Jesus was born in a similar kind of arrangement. In our scripture today, their routine is disrupted. Like Zechariah, like Elizabeth, like Mary, like Joseph, and all of us, the shepherds were busy with life, and life was disrupted. Something quite unexpected happened. An angel, messenger, shows up with a word that shepherds were uniquely qualified to hear because of their job and vocation. They knew Micah's prophecy that out of, out of Bethlehem, a special child would be born. When the angel talked about swaddling clothes, can't you see them with the image of the lamb being set and ready for sacrifice? And then the extraordinary happened. Angels from heaven appeared and a, a choir began to sing. And it wasn't the hallelujah chorus. They sang glory to God in the highest. It is a glory in Excelsis Deo that we sing today. It is the glory to God in the highest. Bach and Schubert and Vivaldi and Handel and Quincy Jones and Kirk Franklin all sing glory to God in the highest. In this story, the good news required that the shepherds do something. Good news usually does require that we do something. In the text, it says that they had this conversation among themselves, and then they say, we must go and see what God has already done. I get stuck on the already done. What are the already dones in your own life that this season you need to turn and pause and look at what God has already done rather than ponder what God has not yet done that you can't see? What has God already done? Shepherd priests who encountered angels went to a place where the lamb, where lamb used for sacrifices were born and swaddled, and they saw the baby Jesus swaddled as a Passover lamb. Time is running out. It's almost Christmas. Divine disruptions are often a prelude to joy. They are pregnant moments that invite us to pause and to be available. We cannot run through the season. We must seize it now and do not run. We've got to drop our list. We've got to tear up our list and pay attention to what the Lord of the church is saying to us in this moment. We must be willing to investigate when we are thrown off our routine and our path and our run. Rather than complain, ask the question, why? What is God doing in this moment? What is it that I need to have eyes to see? that I might praise God, we discover opportunities that might be missed because divine disruption changes our perspective. They point to joy that comes in the morning. Divine disruption. Just stand with the Bible. 
are usually accompanied by fear. But I want you to know that fear does not have to rob us of our joy. The fact that you may feel unworthy and unnecessary does not take you off the hook. Check this out. Your performance does not depend on you. Your security does not depend on you. Your success does not depend on you. Where God leads you, God provides what God requires. God empowers you to do. Pay attention to the biblical witness. Shall I call the role of afraid people? Moses, when he encountered the Lord of creation, said, but I don't speak well. Gideon, when he encountered the Lord of creation through the messenger, was hiding out in a wine press. Esther, when it was clear that she needed to approach the king, said, but I've never done it that way. I can't do that. I'm afraid for my life. Ananias, when he heard from an angel that he needed to visit Saul, the murderer of Christians, he said, Lord, are you sure? There was fear there. Twelve disciples, Jesus died, resurrected. They're still uncertain. They're afraid. But life pushed them forward. Fear, fear does not mean the absence of the presence of God. God uses our fear. Fear combined with action can be an indicator that God is with you. Let me let you in on a secret. When you are most afraid, when you are most afraid, there is the opportunity for God really to show God's ability and stuff in your life. Divine disruptions a place where we often cry we can't, but we learn that we can. Power is released. Power is discovered. Power is claimed. The power of God is claimed outside of our comfort zones. God doesn't call us to be comfortable, Christians. Let me tell you why. Comfortable people do things on their own. Comfortable people accomplish tasks, and then they go, I did a good job. Uncomfortable people look to God for help. It is never about our ability. It is always about the power of God. Let me be clear that when we go through, when we go through our discomfort and our pain, when we go through and get to the other side, we're able to say not but God did it. And that frees us in a new way to worship and to celebrate the God who saves us. Angel messengers are the agents of divine disruption. Disruption come from external forces. Your lack of an angelic visitation is no excuse for inaction because visitations from angels and messengers are often very ordinary. 
Their message is usually timely. You hear it. It was unexpected. It's tailor-made for you. You want to deny it. You can't. I invite you to receive it. In these stories, Gabriel shows up. His name means God will give me strength. And he shows up to encourage and to strengthen. I wonder if we have entertained angels unawares. That's Bible talk. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the word that gets translated angel more appropriately simply means messenger. Some of you have read the message by Eugene Peterson. It's a Bible. And everywhere you read in that Bible, rather than angel, he uses that word messenger. And messengers often take a very human form because outside of context, messenger angels are people like you and I, the messenger of God, the messenger of the Lord. There's divinity wrapped up in that. But guess what? There are angels in the church, even in Providence Church. There are messengers, Pastor Jacob, Pastor Regina, Pastor Pierce, Pastor Mark. Angels show up. And let me tell you what these people do, whose names I just called. I'll go Mississippi and Southern with you. They'll get up in your Kool-Aid. <laughs> and you didn't invite them there. You leave on Sunday morning, you say, he was looking at me when he said that. She was looking at me. They get up in our Kool-Aid and, and they disturb us. They're all in our business. And we say, but I didn't invite them there. But you, they didn't need an invitation. It's a divine disruption. But there are people in your families and in your workplaces and in the supermarket and unexpected places that show up and say things to you and you say, why? I don't want to hear it. Not right now. I remember the first time someone told me I was going to be a preacher one day. I was just a boy. Mm, if I could have said what I'm thinking right now, oh, I would have been in trouble. But it was a word I didn't want to hear, but it was a word that began to penetrate into the very core of my being. Zachariah had to dismiss the notion that he was too old to have children. Elizabeth had to believe in her old age she could have a child. Mary had to believe that she was really chosen. We have to believe that messengers show up in our lives to disrupt us and get our attention because those angel messengers help us to see because we are experts at not being self-aware. They help us to see possibility. They help us to see reconciliation. They help us to see God in a big way. We are called to believe in a God who makes all things possible. Divine disruptions. When people see they do something. When they do something, they break into praise. 
and invite others to join them. Finally, as I go back to alliteration, divine disruption delivers. Who among us does not even today want to be saved? I do. Deliver me, Lord, this season. Hallelujah. Amen.